Welcome to the Indian Journal of Law and Public Policy podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of the IGLPP podcast. I am your host Pranav Tawar, consulting editor at IGLPP. Here we are going to discuss major happenings of legal and policy field this week. I have with me Akash Chandran and Saurabh Pandey. They both are consulting editor with the journal. Now, starting off with the first issue, uh, I would like to discuss the issue of Office of the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights impleading in the NRC petition. So, Akash, uh, I think I will take your view first. Uh, now, what I want to discuss with you is, so, see, whenever we start studying international law, the first concept that we study is of sovereignty. And even when we see the reaction of Ministry of External Affairs on this issue, they have criticized it by saying that it's an internal matter of India. So what's your point of view with respect to these two conflicts of sovereignty and implement by the Office of High Commissioner? All right, Pranav, I'm glad you mentioned OHCHGR because a lot of media reports have been wrongly quoting it as UNHCR, that is Refugee High Commissioner <laughs> okay. Petition. Okay. Uh, yeah. Second, uh, it's expected that uh, External Affairs Minister will take it as an attack on India's sovereignty because that's his official position and he's meant to follow it. However, regarding sovereignty, India already ceded sovereignty when it became a member of the United Nations and signed and ratified UN Charter. So the sovereignty as in total, I don't think that concept exists in the modern nation state. India is a party to or is a member of the Human Rights Council. It actively participates in the process of UPR, Universal Periodic Review, submits its reports and hold itself accountable to the civil society and the UN administration. So the very debate that the matter is internal, I don't think that's going to stand because even the High Commissioner is not refuting the matter is internal. However, there's a matter which has international ramifications and her petition is only an amicus pure brief, which is just highlighting what international obligations India owes as a country. So it's not intervening as a party. It's not becoming a party to the suit. It's just providing an amicus expert opinion that these are the international obligations which India has acquired through signing and ratifying multiple international conventions and treaties. Therefore, these should be taken into account by the Supreme Court while adjudicating on the matter. So, yeah. Do, do you think it, it, it can actually set a wrong precedent uh, for future? Like probably if Supreme Court allows any UN international body or some foreign body to uh, implead, it can actually set a wrong precedent in future where other bodies may feel, you know, encouraged to, to implead in other matters as well. Uh, so the, the flexibility to allow another party to intervene in the matter rests with Supreme Court, even if they allow UN. High Commissioner uh, petition, the, any other subsequent intervention will have to again be, you know, uh, approved by the court. And the question of locus, therefore, will always be there. So it's not that this will open up, you know, floodgates to multiple petitions, uh, you know, in the Supreme Court. And we have to differentiate between foreign NGOs and civil society filing a petition because they won't have a locus as such. But these are UN official bodies. High Commissioner is filing a petition before the court, only seeking or only reminding the court what obligations India has 
it's not asking anything it's not asking any relief it's not becoming a party so it just submitting its expert opinion that's it so i don't see any negative uh consequence of having a uh, international law you know document before the court which in any way supreme court should you know take into account while adjudicating on this matter because international law is a part of your municipal law however we try oh. to displace it okay okay now moving to sorab's point of view sorab uh, the i want to discuss with you is this another aspect which is related to this case uh, if you go into international policies international relations aspect so see what stand ohchr has taken is very neutral they are saying that it it's it's a good law that it's allowing migrants to come in but then they are criticizing it on the part that you know it is going to discriminate with a particular community now when, if a un body is implying in this matter it it means that it has got a big attention now also there was this another instance where un special rapporteur has uh, you know implied to intervene in the matter of rohingya's deportation in supreme court now what i want to ask you is do you think this matter has actually become quite big for international relations and secondly how do you think it is going to impact india's relations in future so pranam when i talk about all these things what we really need to understand at this particular moment is that from last couple of years what we see is that uh, our international relations are developing but to an extent it has been surrounded by certain policies certain instances where other countries have uh, jumped in in our domestic policies and also hmm. when you see this uh, statement by uh, writers like suhasini hyder and other writers which they said that our ifs are busy explaining our domestic policies in other world like in other countries so this was not the work of our ifs ifs are meant to uh, meant for the diplomacy thing they are not meant for justifying our domestic policies in other country and also what we really need to understand why this institution uh, has jumped in see bangladesh has clearly said that we are not going to take any person in our country we have seen mm-hmm. that with rohingya case we have seen we are seeing with this assam case now when in assam uh, the people who are in nrc list the bangladesh uh, the the country as specifically as they can they have said that we are not going to take any one person uh, our mea uh, jayshankar has uh, jayshankar has very clearly mentioned that uh, yes we had words with bangladesh also so now what we really need to understand is that all other countries like uh, when you say iran when you say bangladesh other countries which are which have stakes in our country see we had chabar port with iran but due to yeah. certain instances in our country we are facing other relations we are not having good relation with them why because they are commenting on our domestic policies which was not the case with earlier uh, like with earlier governments with earlier uh, policies now this policy affect all those countries why because this particular uh, law directly mentions about one minority which is not mentioned in that particular law so when bangladesh says that we are not going to accept any other any other person from any other country so we really need to understand that all other countries are stakeholder and the issue is very big right now why majority majority of minority population is going to be affected by this law so why other country is not going to say anything this is the uh, issue which government need to ask themselves that why everybody is saying us that you need to do something you need to do something because every person who is living in this country who is who has come from other country who are the, who they are claiming are outsider what will be their status when they are declared as uh, not as a citizen of our country where will they go we have not ratified this uh, 
this refugee convention so this is the answer which i expect from the government also that they need to clear their stand so all this ruckus which has been created due to this particular law ca it has been from uh, it it was in uh, question from 2016 15 that this was with this bill was with standing committee and all other things but till now government has not come up with any press conference any media briefing that what are we going with the uh, to do with those person who are not in this list so this is a question which other countries are asking because somewhere they also fear that um, immigration will happen some uh, people will go out from this country what will happen to those those people and especially when bangladesh uh, we like everybody is claiming that people have came from bangladesh so bangladesh is a party to this uh, particular act so of course un has to enter in this because all other countries are stakeholder all the neighboring countries especially in south asia are a stakeholder yeah. on in this particular law yeah yeah so you have raised very interesting points on how foreign policy of india is taking new realms and there is lot of confusion which is making other countries getting interested in this entire issue so i think uh, the conclusion of this issue can you know can be that it's it's going to be very unprecedented in the sense that there are lot of new matters that the supreme court has to decide like for example this article 131 interpretation of uh, how they are going to take state of kerala filing a case against the center on this act itself and obviously how they see the constitutionality of citizenship amendment act so let's hope let's see how things turn out in this case so one yeah. one more thing which i'll add is that supreme court really need to take uh, stand very urgently because it is the particular moment at this particular moment when supreme court has to make their stand very clear so when our chief justice of india honorable chief justice of india says that this matter will be taken after particular case then they really need to stand that understand that stakeholders are too large like minorities in question so they really need to take this in a very urgent matter so this has to be decided as soon as possible because people are going to be affected by this particular law yeah so that's certainly certainly this act has a widespread impacts which probably theoretically we cannot anticipate but practically when that will get implemented it may have a lot of unprecedented effects so now this another issue uh, which i wanted to discuss and which happened this week only is the delay in the execution of uh, nirbhaya convicts so akash direct question to you so this this is a question which generally a lawyer gets uh, from common people or masses is the conflict between perception of people of getting a retributive justice uh, quickly or as we say revenge quickly for such heinous crimes is but then there is a lowest perspective that due process of law has to be followed especially in criminal justice system so how do you think this entire long procedure of law and this general perception conflicts and do you think there is a way out for it actually uh not exactly see the debate will exist debate will continue because uh of the uh you know the issue at hand death penalty has always been a contentious issue in a civil society and it's not as binary as we try to put it as abolitionist and you no know, retentionist uh especially with sexual offenses there's a lot of emotions and uh you know uh social fabric sort of emotions attached to it so then legal opinion comes secondary or your so called uh, rationality becomes secondary so i think uh, the issue will continue to take place however as legal professionals you expect certain understanding of law by the officers of the court as well as the judges of the court 
so when you see lawyers uh, seeking, uh, you know, uh, due process of law not to be followed in the particular case, in the so-called collective conscience, uh, to satisfy the collective conscience, uh, it's disappointing because they are not just uh, weakening the very fabric of, you know, uh, constitution uh, morality that we cherish and uphold. They are also trying to dilute the jurisprudence that might uh, come in the future discourses. So uh, I really don't understand that what's the hurry in hanging uh, the four accused. I understand the demand from the family. It's an emotional issue. However, I salute to the judge, district uh, judge, who is holding on to his chair and uh, withholding the pressure and sticking to the due process and, you know, holding that uh, so-called legalistic uh, opinion and not giving in to the public pressure. Okay, okay. I, I guess the judge involved in this matter is uh, Judge Dharmendra Rana only, I guess, who, who, who is a part of right. the Legal Service Authority, right? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so, Saurabh, I want to switch on to you on this another aspect of this matter, and that is perception of criminal justice system as an efficient institution in itself. So, the main thing which is there is that there, there was this comment I was reading in newspaper by Nirbhya's mother where she said that, you know, this, this, this justice system actually belongs to criminals. So you you have studied criminal law in depth in details. So how do you think we are moving towards a direction now where India's own criminal justice system is losing legitimacy because of its insufficiency? Pranam, uh, we felt this when we heard about mob lynching. The day we heard about this mob lynching thing, we felt this, that criminal justice system is not that uh, trustworthy or people are not trusting the criminal justice system. Now, what we really need to realize at this particular moment is that people suddenly have felt that judiciary will not give us justice. So we have, uh, as a law student, we have heard a lot, justice delayed is justice denied. And this is what is happening with all the cases. Now, layman cannot understand the procedural law. They really need to understand that what is the procedure, like 60 days charge sheet, 90 days charge sheet, Everybody has to be given their own uh, platform to speak about uh, their like their accused or their victim. They are provided with the various procedure. But now what we are forgetting is that law will take its course. But people are not understanding this. So the first example which we got from this was that mob lynching happened and people used to kill anybody who was accused of any one similar like small crime. I'll give you one example. There was this case in Assam where two people who were killed by a mob just because they it was like uh, they uh, people felt that they are uh, kidnapping children. They were a B.Tech graduate. They were students. Uh, I'm not sure about B.Tech graduate, but they were students and they went there for uh, they went there for as a tourist, but they were killed by mob. So we felt at that particular moment that it is the general public who is not feeling that criminal justice system will give us justice. So they are taking law in their own hand which is wrong and which we really need to condemn. But now, here comes the point of judiciary, that judiciary really need to realize that although in some cases, we uh, it takes time, but in all other cases, we really need to hurry. We really need to set a benchmark, like Disha Bell is one of the uh, major example of that. One more thing which I really want to mention is that in certain cases, people uh, want media to 
give all the attention to that particular case and that just because of that media trial just because of that media attention people get justice in that particular case but there are n number of cases which are as important as that particular case which has been given more attention by media but that are uh, those are not given uh, due importance by judiciary also we can take the case of say, uh, accused uh, convict singer also if media would not have been that active the victim would not have got justice so these are the cases where justice is being given in a particular time but in all other cases justice is not being given in time so in all total justice delayed is justice denied and these are the reasons why people are taking law in their own hand and giving judgment at that particular moment when every, any person is accused not even convict it's accused of any particular time be it theft like i have seen people thrashing a person just because he was accused of uh, theft it's yeah, you can yeah. say it uh, frustration of people you can say it frustration of judiciary like people are frustrated from judiciary you can say any other example but we have seen we all have witnessed that that people are uh, thrashing normal person who is just accused they are not believing in legal system why because when we see the steps of legal system we uh, there was so much of un cry when uh, there was charge sheet delay that uh, permission was not given by delhi government regarding this charge sheet of kanaiya kumar so people yeah. felt that he is a uh, convict like people uh, assumed that he is a convict and he has done sedition and he is to he should be hanged but uh, in reality there is no hanging punishment in, for the sedition crime like crime as a sedition uh, it does not mention hanging as a punishment but people uh-huh. do not have that legal acumen legal knowledge so one of the suggestion which, uh, which i would give is that government should introduce a legal course so that people get to know like basic crime like sedition murder rape posco we have seen so many major crimes happening people should get to know that if a person kills someone what will happen to him so if you talk to any layman when you ask him if a person does murder what will happen to him he'll definitely reply that he'll be hanged till death but that is not the case now when you take this nirbhaya case we have seen so many cases where media, if media trial is given then there is so much of pressure on the judge that he does not have any option he just have to sign that particular thing that death penalty should be given yesterday i was reading about this case where a person where a accused uh, who was convicted for killing three minor children his sentence has been commuted by supreme court so now here this is the case where three minor were killed by a uh, person and he has been his punishment has been commuted but when you see the same case of nirbhaya you cannot say the uh, pain of that uh, pain of those parents whose children were killed is less than the nirbhaya's parents but then you really need to understand that it is the perspective which is changing about the judiciary and here judiciary especially supreme court and high court needs to jump in and they need to say set some uh, benchmark regarding these crimes this is okay. the particular so, requirement of particular time yeah so sorry to cut in between but but yeah. have as, as you have raised this point of uh, supreme court and high court need to make reforms have there is this another point in my mind which i want to discuss with you and which is this another angle if we look at this entire controversy is the criminal justice system in itself being a victim uh, now there was this uh, cognizance taken by supreme court of the second national judicial pay commission where they said that 0.44% of budget of states budget has been spent on judiciary so that is very minute amount being spent on judiciary so do you think there is a part of this entire issue where criminal justice system is itself being ignored and is becoming victim of lethargy of government 
True, Pranav. Uh, so the, here comes the question of independence of judiciary. Yesterday or day before yesterday, I was reading about Nani Palkiwala, where he appealed, where uh, Bombay High Court for the judges of Bombay High Court or Civil Court, they had to, uh, if they were uh, resident of Bombay, they were not given uh, accommodation. So if a person has to travel from uh, Malad to Bombay High Court, it was too much for her or him. So here comes. So here comes the question of independence of judiciary. Nani Palkiwala in person appeared for that particular case, and he himself very rightly said that for independence of judiciary, we need to do everything which we can. Now, for uh, judges' salary and all other things, we really need to make sure that a person or judge does not go either way just because his salary is less. So why we uh, we see that clerks or all other group C or group D employees are they are tending to be corrupt? Why? Because their salary is not much. What we really need to uh, make sure is that lower judiciary gets that much of salary which a person expect. So mm-hmm. that can ensure that independence is there in lower judiciary, which can make sure that justice is not delayed and people are getting justice in time. Because judges tend to be uh, go either way because of certain uh, certain reasons. But salary is one of the uh, major reason which we need to ensure. by giving adequate salary to judges because they are entitled for that they do lot of work we really need to uh, recall this or we need really need to mention this why we really need to mention this that, that judges are doing lot of work in lower judiciary because there are lo- hell lot of cases in lower judiciary and which really need to uh, like finish and which really need to be answered to the all the uh, all the petitions by the applicants or defendants Yeah, yeah. So I guess this this topic is in itself a very wide topic of uh, tackling the pendency of cases that are lot of those papers have been written on it, and there is a scope of writing a lot more suggestion on this entire issue. So now this another now moving on to this last issue in this podcast, and I w- I would love to take Akash Chandran's opinion on it because he was tweeting a lot about it yesterday night, and the issue is the appeal chamber of ICC's decision. about uh, opening investigation on war crimes in afghanistan so akash uh, do you see that uh, this appeal chambers decision of reversing the trial chambers decision uh, in actually uh, increases but as well decreases power of uh, office of the prosecutor uh right so pranav i think that's a very significant ruling that we saw yesterday coming from the appeal chamber um and This, it's significant for two to three accounts. First, it reversed the pre-trial chambers' uh, problematic ruling in the interest of justice. Second, it the judgment uh, upholds the power of the prosecutor and, in fact, allows uh, her to carry on or initiate investigation without the pre-trial chambers' review. So, therefore, the appeals chambers has upholded the prosecutorial discretion. much mm-hmm. more than we would have expected it to uh, it to be the third uh, what's important is it's uh, expanded the scope of investigation uh, from the pre trial chambers opinion and now uh, you can the prosecutor can investigate the alleged crimes of torture uh, committed uh, on the afghan nationals uh, by the cia and the us forces and this is important from the geopolitical narrative because uh us especially mr bolton and mr pompeo has 
been uh, attacking the court and its judges and the prosecutors have in fact uh, banned the entry of any uh, representative of the court in the US so in the wake of this appeals chamber standing up to the powerful country as USA and not giving in sends the very message that the court is here to stay and it will mm-hmm. function without any fear or favor so it brings up the legitimacy back to the court back yeah. to the prosecutor's office yep okay okay so right i, I guess uh, it it's it's going to be very interesting matter of how the investigation goes on and unfold and especially how uh, the, the other matters like pending matters of investigation in colombia turns out so is there anything that you want to add by yourself on this entire matter because you have made a lot of observation and i've read a lot about i, I was seeing a lot of tweets from uh, Uh, professors from other universities tweeting about the impact that this judgment is going to have on other matters so right. do you have anything to add on this issue? right so it you know at the outset i would say that it's very important not to expect much as such from the ruling the ruling definitely is significant from the institutional perspective however we are not going to see anytime soon any uh, afghan national or us national or even taliban forces to be in the dock before the court at the hague the investigation is going to be tricky especially in the light of the peace deal that us and taliban have signed recently so mm-hmm. the prosecutor's office now has to like sit back and figure out how they intend to investigate and uh, get as much evidence as they can and bring cases before the court uh, what what other factor factor that is important is here how the court deals with the obligations of non state parties because us is not a state party and uh, once this jurisprudence is clear i think as india as for our country which is also not a party i think things will make more sense once the court rules or as a trial goes forward because even if prosecutor is able to make a case we'll still not have uh, these people in the dock unless state cooperates and you can take it in the writing that us is not going to cooperate and i doubt any other country as such which is aligned to us will cooperate so it, it's interesting how this case will you know uh come across in the years to come because it's not going down in at least 3 to 4 years okay okay it, it it seems like one of those classical cases where uh, from legal jurisprudence perspective it seems very strong but when it will get implemented it will get diluted by geopolitical thoughts and the international reality and the politics and so, by bringing the same point you mentioned in the uh, first sentence of the podcast that is sovereignty yeah. so <laughs> international law's framework is sovereignty and the icc depends on states for functioning beat funding beat cooperation so while it, the countries have ceded their sovereignty in regards to un and its uh, officers in regards to icc states have not ceded their sovereignty as such unless they have ratified it explicitly so yeah yeah right right and that that's one of the trickiest part and why we, that, that brings us to the basics of international law as to why it is called sofra because it lacks that implementation part in itself so i guess that's it from us today uh, thank you akash and sora for joining us now and thank you to our listener for staying with us thank you for listening to the podcast do not forget to check our website for more updates and legal articles you can follow us on twitter facebook and linkedin see you next time